When you say Edom, you're referring to the United States. Correct. It's a it's a major distinction that people better get through their heads. There's there's no distinction between the United States and Rome and Edom. They don't have our best interests. The, many people, Americans might, but the government doesn't. And we're seeing this played out now um, in what I call the other front, which um, scares a lot of people right now. But um, it's, it's, it's a front that has to be recognized for what it is. What, what is this other front to which you refer? We all are familiar with this multi-front scenario in which Lebanon and Syria, um, the territories, uh, the mixed cities, um, Gaza, and uh, even the Negev, all rep and Iran all represent uh, distinct fronts which can combine uh, to form what's called a multi-front war against against Israel. Well, there is another front that we have to recognize now, and that is the front uh, presented by the United States. I would I would say, I would maybe try to make a distinction between the United States and the Biden administration, but simply can't. What are the what are the components of this new front, this other front? There, there's six aspects of it. Number one, there is a man by the name of Lieutenant General Michael R. Fenzel. A lot of people don't know who he is. Could you, could you spell that? Could you spell that name for us? Right. The last name is Fenzel, F-E-N-Z-E-L. And he's an American officer, lieutenant general, who's in charge of the U.S. security coordinator to Israel and the Palestinian Authority, the USSC, uh, to, to use the acronym that they use. A lot of people don't know this institution even exists or what they've been about. Let me just briefly explain what they've done lately. Perhaps first give Many us people, some, could you please supply us with some background information? What is this organization? Right. This, when, this organization? When did it begin? It's history. What does it do? This organization was formed many years ago to basically coordinate between the Israeli army and the Palestinian security forces. And they were supposed to supervise both the arming and the training of the Palestinian security forces in order to guarantee their, quote, professionalism and their coordination with Israel, with the Israeli army, particularly what's called Kogat, the coordinator of government activities in the territories. And they've been a complete and utter failure. Why? They have never held the Palestinians accountable for their terrorist actions, for their incitement, or even their pay for slave policy. They've been completely quiet on that issue. What have they done? Uh, they have promoted the, re the arming of the Palestinian Authority security forces to a degree 
where they could very well pose a serious threat, not just to our settler population, but to the IDF, to the Israeli Defense Forces as well in the territories. This organization, and Fenzel in particular, views settler violence as the key problem to establishing a Palestinian state in the territories. Although it must be pointed out that there is, in fact, no such thing. This is a figment of their imagination, or more precisely, not a figment of someone's imagination. It is a deliberately uh, constructed lie. Exactly so. So to give you an example, when you ask, where does this notion of settler violence, rising settler violence, that the, that the Americans and the Europeans and the UN are all talking about. Where does, where does this lie come from? This organization headed by Lieutenant General Fenzel. They use as evidence everything the Palestinians give them, everything the hard left NGOs give them as fact, okay? This organization, this American organization, also is in favor of this uh, the creation of a 7,000-man Palestinian commando unit, including paratroopers, by the way, which, which would be trained in Jordan by the Jordanian Special Forces. Why? Ostensibly, you know, to take care of terrorist problems. Well, what they don't tell you is the terrorists they're talking about are our people, our settlers, our fellow brothers and sisters in the territories. So you have to understand how dangerous this organization is. I have urged the government to disband this organization and expel Fenzel and his entire staff. They are in a destabilizing uh, organization within the territories and they have to they have to be gone where, where are they physically based jerusalem of course i've seen some of them i i know who they are and they swagger around like they own the place they are the most arrogant anti-semitic evil people i could ever imagine but they'll claim that they're God's anointed here to create peace and and coordinate uh, collaborative efforts between the Palestinian security uh, forces and the IDF. It's a lie. It's a complete lie. More, you more, want... more on Slovian peace. Correct. Um, the second element that we have to recognize in this other front is the executive order that President Biden just signed. I wrote a piece in the Jerusalem Post uh, two weeks ago after I actually read the executive order. Uh, a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, Aaron Lerner, um, provided me with the, with the full text, which apparently none of our media people really looked at. I know that because I called several editors and chiefs. I got them up at night in the more early in the morning and said, have you read the actual text of the executive order? No, why? 
it applies to uh, these four guys in the terrorist force. I said, you're wrong. What it does is allow Secretary of State Blinken and Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen complete authority over Israel, basically. They can do whatever they want, say whatever they want. Um, they could, for example, say that because somebody writes a letter to the editor in the Jerusalem Post or Yedir Ahronot or Makorishon in favor, just in favor of settlement in the territories, they are contributing to destabilization and violence in the territories and should have their banking uh, frozen. Now, here you have a situation where they are imposing extraterritorial rules and laws on us. None of these, you know, some of these people have been um, handled by the court here. Uh, most others haven't. And now they are threatening um, soldiers and commanders and members of the Knesset and the government itself, ministers, that if they, in their opinion, are part of the problem with the rising settler violence in the territories, they too will be sanctioned. Now, the fact that our banks and the Bank of Israel is just saluting smartly and carrying out a foreign power's orders is shocking. This is like back in the mandate. Is there, where, any, is there any legal basis for Israeli institutions to act thus? Short answer, no. And the long They're answer? The long answer? They, are, they are making excuses to the effect that, uh, well, you know, we have to go along with them because we have branches in the United States that could be harmed in some way. This is why Bank Leumi, for example, which got sanctioned in the past for not really watching where the, the origin of a lot of money was coming from that was deposited in their accounts. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to be purer than Caesar's wife right now. So we have uh, Bitsala Smutrich, to his credit, said that there is, um, and the Minister of Communication. You're referring to uh, to the finance minister, Smotrich. To the finance minister and the minister of communications have both said because the a, the postal bank, which falls under the minister of communications um, control, both of these gentlemen have said that we need legislation now quickly to protect our citizens from having their bank accounts essentially taken over and frozen by a foreign power. Okay, so this is supposed to have a chilling effect on the settlement enterprise. And our government is, you know, Bibi and the rest of the government right now, the war cabinet, really haven't done anything to push back. Another aspect of this front is this uh, new law that is being drafted in the United States requiring supposedly all recipients of American military uh, uh, supplies and equipment to promise, to give assurances 
that their military, especially if they're involved in combat, uh, would fight according to humanitarian law. Well, first of all, there's really only one country that I'm aware of, apart from Ukraine, that's fighting, currently fighting a war, and that's us. So this law, let's not be foolish about this. It, it, it wasn't meant to uh, impact the Japanese or the British or the French or the Italians or any of the other, or even the Saudis for that matter, who are in receipt of U.S. military supplies. It was designed specifically for us. And I find it, I mean, the polite way of saying is it's, it's chutzpahdik for them to somehow question our, our ethics in war. Just in bellum, as, as, as the Romans would call it. We have the most ethical army in the world by far. And for them to put this onus on us to assure them, the United States, this is the country that committed uh, mass murder in Vietnam, that committed horrendous atrocities in Afghanistan, that remind killed us, a minimum remind, of 5,000. Jonathan, perhaps you could remind our listeners, some of whom are, first of all, uh, not old enough to even remember the Vietnam War. Second of all, even if people remember it and were around at the time, they don't know the facts. How many Vietnamese were killed or, or injured, maimed by American forces in Vietnam? Millions. And it wasn't just by direct action, bombing, shooting, massacres like My Lai, for example, which was absolutely shocking, um, where they just lined up civilians and just gunned them down, a whole village. But the long-term effects of Agent Orange, for example. I, I must apologize to everybody. Uh, no. There is a reason I should mention uh, Jonathan, you're you're experiencing, we are experiencing uh, connectivity problems with you, and you mentioned before we began that uh, we should expect such problems because you you right. have you have seen what you refer to as the funny trucks uh, no. driving around your neighborhood. I won't mention where you live. Uh, special trucks, shall we say, with interesting antennas and other paraphernalia uh, that are involved in whatever they're involved and uh, due to this or that foreign uh, uh, dignitary and other other questions and you think this has something to do with your oh i know it does with, with, you, with your inter internet connection so right. our apologies so the, the key the key thing i'm trying to make about this this new order that's come out where they're seeking assurances from us that we will fight in a quote humane way according to the rules of of war the law of war, um, is that it's part and parcel of the uh, charges against us by South Africa and the International um, Criminal Court, uh, sorry, the ICJ, the Court of Justice, that, um, that we've committed war crimes, genocide against the Palestinians. This um, order by the Americans is supposed to work hand in glove with whatever charges or opinions that the international court will bring against us and trust me they will so there's another uh aspect to this front uh which is that they've just given us uh 60 days the united states has given us 60 days to bring forward 
those people that uh, they consider war criminals in, in our army and to include commanders of our armies um, in, who have been accused of these having committed these crimes in the territories. There are no such people. No, but, there, are no, there are no such people because there are no such crimes. Because there are no such crimes. The, the entire thing is, is, uh, is Alice in Wonderland. It has nothing to do with reality. But if you want to go down the rabbit hole, then consider this. There is a little-known organization in the State Department called the Office of Human Trafficking. And they're concerned with uh, mostly children uh, being trafficked for horrible reasons. Um, uh, prostitution. Uh, we had a, have had a problem in Israel with um, certain ladies being allowed to come into this country from particularly Eastern Europe. And it was reached a scandalous level. And okay, we're hopefully cleaning that up now. But what we've been charged with by this little known... It should be pointed out, it should be pointed out that these are uh, international problems, uh, realities. Totally international. And not, we not, start not, not, in any, not in any way uh, uh, unique to Israel. Well, if you look at what's happening on America's southern border right now, with many of these unaccompanied children being taken in hand by various criminal organizations, one can only imagine what will happen to them. And of course, as far as the Biden administration is concerned, um, they don't recognize that, they don't see it. There have been many um, cases brought before courts arguing that the southern border of the United States is basically one big human trafficking uh, organization, oh, one big human trafficking um, location. But uh, the Biden administration won't do anything about that. That's because, as we, we all should note, that's because their hope is that in the fullness of time, these people and or their children uh, will become some under some amnesty arrangement or what have you, they will become American citizens and loyal voters of the Democratic Party. Right, right. So what this office in the State Department has done is they've accused us, Israel, of human trafficking. Why? Well, because we've signed numerous legal um, worker agreements with Sri Lanka, with India, with Thailand, with the Philippines to bring in workers to replace unreliable Palestinians. Who spy, who spy on us and then hand the information over to our enemies in order to attack us. As, as, we know, as we know from the many workers from the Gaza Strip who worked in many of the communities that were attacked on uh, at the beginning of this, of this war, on the 7th of October. Quite right. And when you have 85% or more of the Palestinians living in the territories, uh, all ex ex expressing support for what happened on October 7th, it would be foolhardy in the extreme uh, to trust their... Uh, to trust their good wishes by importing their good, their good, their good intentions, yes. Their good intentions, correct, in, into Israel proper. Okay, so the, the State Department office... So because, because Israel wishes to replace 
uh, essentially uh, foreign and enemy nationals who we know for a fact have been functioning as, as a spy network, an intelligence operation within our country for years, which was obvious, by the way, to many, many people, but it was denied until, until recently. Because Israel wishes to replace these people with foreign workers who come here of their own volition by legal contract to work, to be paid, to be treated in, in the best possible way for a certain period of time, number of years usually, as is done all over the world and has been done all over the world for many, many decades. I mean, think, think of uh, the Turkish Gastarbeiter in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, think, think of, think of the uh, uh, all the, all the foreign uh, workers in many European countries. Not what about the Mexicans in the U.S., etc., oh. etc. Et this is somehow has been construed now. You're telling us by the State Department as as human trafficking. Correct. I can't make this up. No, you can't. It's it's beyond, it's almost beyond comprehension. Well, that's why I said, get ready to go down the rabbit hole. The last um, element of this other front is this creeping arms embargo against Israel. The United States started this by claiming that they were considering putting conditions on the transfer or the supply of military equipment to Israel. And this ties in with this assurances that they want that will fight in a humanitarian way. This was a signal, and it was a coordinated signal. I, I would actually agree. I would say that we, we should sign on the dotted line that we will fight precisely as the United States did in Iraq, in Afghanistan. And uh, Vietnam. Or, or, or we could also mention the Second World War. We will follow their example to... to Dresden, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Exactly. Correct. Okay, so this creeping military uh, embargo that was kind of given with a wink and a shrug, the uh, impetus by the United States to go forward. So who are we talking about? Well, the Italians a few weeks ago, the Italian foreign minister, confirmed that they have... Uh, embargoed military equipment to Israel. The Australians have, in fact, embargoed military, both military equipment and strategic raw materials to Israel, although they won't acknowledge that fact. It, if, in, it, it exists, in fact. And now we have the curious third case of the Dutch. What have the Dutch done? The United States operates an arms depot uh, a supply depot, if you will, on Dutch territories that holds F-35 spare parts. The F-35 in Israel is known as the Adir. The um, the the, the um, stealth aircraft that we so-called stealth aircraft fighter bomber that we uh, we operate. Now, the Dutch. There was an NGO that went to the Dutch courts and said. These spare parts should be embargoed because they're contributing to Israel's uh, prosecution of a genocidal war against the Palestinians. Okay. A Dutch court supported them, which was no surprise. And it was supported also, by the way, by the Dutch foreign minister that said this complaint is valid. So 
I want to give an analogy here, and I want people to think about this. The Americans uh, operate arms depots here in Israel that are very similar to the one that exists in the Netherlands. And you remember, not too long ago, the United States ordered the transfer of tons of 155 millimeter howitzer shells and other equipment from those depots to the Ukraine. Okay, now I ask you, Rav, could you imagine, what do you think would happen if Israel had told the United States, we are not allowing you to transfer this equipment because we do not want to be a party to the Russo-Ukrainian war? Can you tell me, in your opinion, what the response of the Americans would be? Unpleasant. Exactly. Well, so far, the actions of the Dutch have elicited a zero response from the Americans. Zero. This is wink and, and shrug type stuff that the Americans are engaged in right now. They, by all, by, by everything that's legal, they should have told the Dutch, you have no right to interfere in the transfer of equipment that is not yours, and that is being held in a facility that is not under your 101% control. That is an American facility that is located on your soil. So what has been the response so far from Israel? Well, I haven't, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard anything. The, the easiest thing we could do, because uh, Elbit, for example, one of our own manufacturers, military manufacturers, makes the display and the helmets for the F-35 that go worldwide. Well, maybe there could be a technical reason that would slow down the production of these particular equipment. And maybe they should be banned from being delivered to the Dutch Air Force, which has just uh, purchased a large number of F-35s because of what the Dutch Imperial Army, East Asian Army rather, did in uh, the Indonesia, what is now Indonesia, when they committed genocide in the wake of World War II, a genocide which hardly anybody knows about, except if you happen to have lived in Southeast Asia at the time, and which the Dutch to this day have never suitably apologized for. So maybe we should embargo this equipment from Dutch F-35s because of their genocidal actions in the wake of World War II when they tried to reestablish their um, their Eastern Empire in Indonesia. I mean, it could get that crazy if, if we want to push it that far. I think in particular, the Dutch embassy should be reduced to caretaker status because look, you know very well that most, if not all of the foreign ministries in Europe are anti-Semitic to the core, and hate us with a passion. And not just in Europe. I think you would and, agree that the State Department of the United States is at least as anti-Semitic and anti-Israel as those foreign officers you mentioned. If not more so. Um, I knew from my own experiences um, that whenever we had anything to do with the State Department, um, it was not worth our breath 
to make a case in defense of Israel in any way, shape, or form. Perhaps you could explain why why do you believe this is so? Why why is the United States State Department or has un, unchangingly, unbendingly, almost fanatically anti-Israel and anti-Semitic? Starting with uh, General George Marshall, who was um, the Secretary of State during uh, Israel's War of Independence, the feeling was not just that Israel would become an incubator of um, communism, if you will, because of you know the number of uh, Eastern European immigrants Olim that were coming to Israel, and the fact that we had a communist party, and that the Labor Party itself had socialist uh, policies that the Americans saw as communist, but wasn't. But that's how they viewed it. No, there was the the overriding belief in the State Department was that an alliance with Israel or any actions in support of Israel would harm or hinder our ability to have a, an effective relationship with the Arab Middle East. And at the time, we saw the Muslims in the Middle East as a bulwark against the spread of communism. When you say we, you're referring to the Americans. Uh, I have problems with pronouns. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. Just, just, just want to clarify. <laughs> Thank you. The yes, the Americans. So that only got worse over time. And in 1956, during the Suez War, where there was a collaboration between Israel, Great Britain, and France uh, against Egypt, um, Nasser's Egypt at the time, which had just uh, nationalized, blocked, blocked the uh, Suez Canal. Blocked the Suez Canal and blocked the, blocked the Straits of Tehran for Israeli traffic to and from a lot. That um, they convinced the uh, Eisenhower administration to threaten a, an oil cutoff to Britain and France and other unspeakable sanctions to Israel if they didn't evacuate uh, and surrender and get, and get out of the Suez Canal. Because for this reason that we actually thought the United States as the only great power that never had colonial holdings in the Middle East, that we had a special relationship with the Muslim Middle East, that both the old colonial powers, uh, Great Britain and France, and the, the upstart power, uh, Israel, um, would prevent us from having that if we had relations with with if the United States had relations with these three powers that it would hinder our ability to have good relations with the newly independent Arab states in the Middle East, the decolonized states, and the Muslim Brotherhood, which we saw even as early as 1956 would be useful against the spread of communism. So. There is also a very heavy... So, let me, let, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me just sum up what you have said. What you have essentially said thus far is that the United States post-war was focused almost entirely on the, the, uh, in, 
beginnings of the of the Cold War that were beginning to was beginning to sh take shape in the immediate aftermath of, of the Second World War. Everything was viewed through the lens of anti-communism and anti-Soviet influence, and and thus they they and they viewed correctly or not they viewed uh, Islamic countries and the Muslim Brotherhood as a bulwark against against communism. Quite right. My question to you is, and 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 one can even to some extent, I think, to be fair, understand. The, the American uh, tribulations with regards to uh, and, 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 and fears with regards to uh, Soviet, uh, the spread of, of Soviet influence and communism throughout the world, it was a serious threat. It cannot be denied. There was such a serious threat. It was an international, the entire world was, was the battlefield. In play. It was in play. The entire world was the battlefield. It was, it was everywhere. Every country was, was, uh, Almost all countries, with plus a few exceptions, such as Canada, Australia, New Zealand, what have you, but um, almost all countries were considered possible uh, targets of, of Soviet Take influence and, and takeover, literally. Countries in Europe, Italy, France, uh, Greece, France, etc., you, you name it. And again, this was not. Uh, this was not a, a question of American imagination. It was real. No. The the uh, the Soviets had set up cells in many parts of Europe, including Western Europe. Certainly in 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 uh, Eastern Europe before well, they Europe. took all of those countries, but certainly Western Europe, they set up cells designed to uh, by all 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 means available, including armed armed uh, resistance, to take over the countries. You're talking uh, also, you're referencing the common turn and the common form that were designed specifically to do exactly what you just uh, indicated. And this is why the CIA famously, or for those who know, the CIA famously, uh, at the very beginning, even, even before there was a CIA, it was called the uh, OSS, was it? OSS, yeah. OSS, right. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the war, even before the CIA was was officially chartered and and established, I think in 1947, um, immediately in 45, 46, 47, the OSS had established uh, cells within within almost every European country, precisely to, for the purpose of countering these these uh, Soviet plans and and, and uh, anti anti Western cells. That in, in the event that such a such such a thing actually took off, they would be in position to to actually fight it out in the in the streets. This is well known today. Great. If I may add, just uh, three other elements in the State Department's uh, arsenal of of uh, antipathy towards Israel, even before during the Hurban, even before the creation of Israel, the State Department's attitude towards the rescue of Jews was criminal. I speak, I'm, uh, it's, it's a personal matter for me because I had relatives on a voyage of the damned um, from Europe that were turned away by State Department actions and were prevented from landing their endangered uh, passengers in any other country because of State Department intervention. Um, the refusal uh, to recognize 
the impending genocide against Israel can be laid at the feet, not just of the British or the French, but the Americans as well. They all had a role in making sure that our people never got out of Europe and were later consumed in the fires of the Hurban. After the war, as you pointed out, there was this concern about the spread of communism, particularly in the Middle East because of its oil uh, interests there. And that later became very important for the West, obviously, which led to relationships with some of the most repressive regimes imaginable, um, who were oil exporters. And during the, even during the Reagan administration, in administrations, plural, in the United States, um, the massive arming of Saudi Arabia and um, other countries, uh, Egypt, for example, was done basically to contain Israel as much as it was to contain revolutionary Iran or even the Soviets that were in the area in Syria, for example, and parts of Iraq. Um, lastly, the third arrow, if you will, in their quiver of hatred towards Israel has been this new woke ideology that the Palestinians now are the kind of exemplar of the oppressed indigenous people who are being um, tortured and who are being murdered and who are being denied their right to national self-identification or self, uh, you know, an independent state by a colonial apartheid regime, namely Israel. And it's the State Department that the people that are in the State Department and are kind of populating the State Department um, actually believe this, that the, the right of self-determination on the part of the Palestinians is a war crime, is a, is a crime of genocide by Israel. So now you have this other issue coming up. I mean, where did this come from? Well, it came from the people that, that graduated from Harvard and Georgetown and University of Pennsylvania and other you know, elite. Any, any particular reason you mentioned those three universities? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do. Because for all the obvious reasons, I won't bore your audience with it. I'm sure no, they're we, well. We, we, are, we are certain our, our viewers are more, more than uh, well informed and, and know Correct. exactly what you're getting at. Correct. So now, all of these things that I just mentioned that are part of what I call the other front in our, in our war right now, most of them, if not all of them, have their genesis in the State Department. And if they're willing to go so far as to say we are guilty of human trafficking because we're bringing in Sri Lankan laborers to replace dangerous, unreliable, homicidal Palestinian workers from Gaza and from the territories, then we're not down the rabbit hole. We're in the middle of an insane asylum. And I don't know where it's going to end unless... An insane asylum where the uh, inmates have taken over. Control. All of this points to one essential 
thing that we have to adopt here immediately. And that is the notion of self-sufficiency, particularly when it comes to military equipment. We can no longer rely on anyone, any state, any foreign power to be reliable uh, at any time because they make the rules up whenever they want. And because and if there's anything that we can rely upon, it is anti-Israel and anti-Semitic feelings and action. Feelings Correct. and ideologies that will, without doubt, translate into action, as we see before our eyes. 